0: verses 31 through 46. You know, something we've been saying throughout this series is that Jesus is a fantastic storyteller. And um, one of the reasons that we want to internalize that is because we, we have to realize through all of these stories that, that, that our Heavenly Father has also been telling his beautiful story of redemption and forgiveness and restoration in your life. And through your life, he's telling that story. And that's why we have a resource for you. And it's back at the communion tables that we've been encouraging you to pick up. It's just a little, it's just a piece of paper that helps you walk through what your story is. What's the story that God has been telling in your life and through your faith journey, wherever you are on that journey, it's a great resource. It's why we want to resource you for Easter, Easter's just in two weeks, and we have lots of opportunities to come and celebrate and to worship, and lots of opportunities to invite. And as Brian said in the video, we all know somebody. And we have little invite cards for you on the back, uh, on the tables here. And you can also go to www.thewcc.com slash Easter. I encourage you, take one of those cards. It's going to tell you what to do when it comes to inviting someone to join you this Easter. Because the most important thing you can do with the story of grace and redemption that Jesus is telling in your life and through your life is for you to share it with someone else. So don't pass up the opportunity as your neighbors and our friends and family are more open at Easter time than any other time of the year to accept an invitation. When you say, hey, what are your plans for for Easter this year? When whatever their reply, you say, well, maybe you would like to come to church with me. What, service, what time would be good for you? That's how we're going to celebrate this Easter, okay? So make sure you pick up those resources, go to our website. You're going to want to be a part of what we're doing this Easter, so make sure you do that. You know, when Jesus told a story, he always drew on his audience's commonly held knowledge in their culture, something they could relate to. And then it seems like just like that, he would then flip it, and he would add something in about what God's kingdom is doing currently in their lives. And so whenever Jesus uses the term the kingdom of God or interchangeably with kingdom of heaven or Jesus's kingdom, it all means this, that God's sovereign will and his power is infiltrating earth. And it's starting to turn over everything that we thought we knew. It's starting to remake everything that had been ruined by sin into something beautiful the way that God already intended it to be. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's saying it is advancing now, right now, amongst us in our very time. And so when Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of God, we should pay attention because it's happening now. Here's our big idea for today. Let your actions speak louder than words. Let your actions speak louder than words. Let's jump into our scripture for today, Matthew chapter 25. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, we have them at the hub out here in the lobby. So we would love to just give you one, all right, because we want God's word in your hand. So turn with me there. It'll also be on the screen. Here we go. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, this is, for Jesus' audience, this this agrarian culture, very familiar scene, as shepherds would would lead their flocks out into the field during the day that sheep and goats would graze together. But at night, when they bring them in, they would would separate them out. And so this, this, so far, Jesus' audience is with them. They're tracking with them, okay? They understand this. Let's keep going, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right— When did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in a prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right, I have to say, this is one of the most disturbing and terrifying stories that we could have shared in this series with you. And it begs the question, perhaps for me, more than any other story that we've shared so far in this series, this is the one where you really lean in and say, okay, who am I in this story? Because we always do that in stories. But this one in particular, you're like, who am I in this story? And we really, it really begs that question. But I don't wanna get too far ahead because first what I wanna focus on is what is Jesus saying, right? This is, how our, this is what the question we ask. What is Jesus saying about how his kingdom operates. Okay, so let's first look at that before we rush too far ahead. Three things I want to point out to you today that Jesus says, this is how my my Father's kingdom is operating now and will operate one day soon. Here's the first thing, Jesus will return in mighty glory. All right, that's the first thing Jesus points out. Jesus says, the son of man will return with his angels and will sit on his glorious throne. Now, one of the most shocking statements he makes there is because Jesus in his ministry will often refer to himself as the son of man. He's talking about himself. And then he says, the son of man will return and he will sit on his glorious throne. Who's the only one that sits on a throne? God, what is Jesus saying? I'm God, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. So since Easter is coming in a couple of weeks, let's talk about Christmas for a second, okay? You good with that? The first time Jesus came, the first time he came, nobody knew about it. It was in this backwater country town revealed to a handful of shepherds. Nobody knew, there was was no fanfare, there was no parade, There was no splitting of the clouds or trumpets sounding. He was put in a feeding trough when he was born. The kingdom of God began to infiltrate on Christmas morning, but it was subtle and it was humble and it was quiet. But it won't be like that the second time, Jesus said. Now, we might say, you know my problem with that is? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you haven't had this problem. Now I'm going to bring it up, and it's going to bother you. All right. Um, you know what my problem is, is? Is if Jesus just would have come with the trumpets and the cloud thing and the lightning and the angels the first time, then nobody would have an excuse not to believe. Everybody would have seen it, and everybody would have believed. Why didn't he just do it that way the first time? Right? That's, that's a fair question. All right. And that's really. a a, a lens through which our culture views all kinds of things, right? It's the biggest, loudest thing that gets the most attention and therefore must be most important. Things go viral on social media and hundreds of thousands of people are clicking and sharing and that's the thing that my kids always say, hey, did you see that video? And my answer is always like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, all right? But, but that's the thing, all right? That's the thing that gets the most attention, right? We give MVP awards, we give Grammys, we give trophies and the people that are out front, the people that are on stage, the people that are at the podium, they've gotta be the most accomplished. They have to be the most important. It's our culture feels that, right? And we understand that. We're used to it. These things grab our attention. They inspire our achievements. And they cultivate praise from us, don't they? The loud things always do that. I read a, a brief article in Time Magazine, which was talking about these these um, I mean for for you know, these UFOs that have been shot down, these balloons and such over Canadian and U.S. airspace recently. Right? You've seen that news. It was kind of happening last month, right? And the article was asking the question, "Why didn't we see these things coming?" all right? And and one um, one person said, "Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing." Our radar systems are designed to recognize jets, rockets, and missiles, th- larger things moving very quickly that have a higher heat signature. And, and, and this person said, to be honest with you, these smaller things, these balloons and these drones and these things like that, for the most part, we're missing it because our radars haven't been tuned in to look for them. So, what are they saying? What are they saying there? We didn't see him because we weren't looking for him. You know, Jesus, throughout his ministry, performed lots of miracles, didn't he? I mean, we're talking about miracles of healing and, and, and miracles of, 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 of multiplying food and feeding thousands. We're talking about miracles where he literally raised people from the dead, hundreds. Thousands of people were witness to these miracles. The Jewish religious leaders were witness to many of these miracles. And do you know what? The, the, the gro- there was never ever this growing throng and multitude of people who were eager to follow Jesus. It was a pretty small group. Why? Why would that be? They saw the trumpets. They they heard the trumpets. They saw the clouds break open. And yet, they didn't follow. Because big cloud-splitting, trumpet-blasting events very rarely ever change a person's heart. See, heart change comes over a long period of time of a slow Subtle obedience, one step at a time toward Jesus. That's how your heart begins to be regenerated and renewed. And I wonder what subtle steps of obedience and faithfulness you and I are taking this morning. Or maybe... You've articulated in your heart, even though you've not said it out loud, maybe you've kind of arrived. You don't really need to take a lot of those bold, but yet subtle and faithful steps anymore. And what are you hedging your bet on that you're good enough? See, the second time Jesus arrives, it's not going to be subtle It's going to be loud and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be the biggest, most glorious, most beautiful, most extravagant thing that you have ever seen. It's going to be fitting for a king. Let your actions speak louder than words. But let's unpack that a little further. Jesus is going to return in in glory and power. That's the first thing that we see that Jesus is talking about. Here's the second thing, is everyone will be judged. Everyone will be judged. All right, He says that all peoples of the earth will be gathered to the throne for judgment. There will be a reconciliation for sin. And all of us will have to face it. John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus says, the first time I came to save, the first time I came to save, but the second time, the next time I come, I'm coming to judge. See, judging is a difficult thing. We all, we, we all do it. We all hate to do it, all right? And, and it's funny, our culture, when it comes to being judgmental or judging, our culture— has never worked harder at avoiding something and then in so doing has really just done that thing over and over again, right? Because here's what happens is we will judge the heck out of anybody who seems like they're judging, right? We do. I mean, it's just it's almost laughable, all right? The only thing that you're allowed to judge right now in our culture is people who are judgmental and you can judge them all day long, condemn them, all right? And you see it, we do it, all right? Now, the important thing about judging is here's the first thing that we need to know. This is not the Jesus kind of judge. This is our kind of judging, but they're related, all right? Is it's important that those of us who are followers of Jesus that we do judge sin when it comes to interacting with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, we're called to do it. I am called, as you are to me, to look at my brothers' and sisters' life and say, I think there's a sin problem in your life. I've seen this. Can I pray for you? I've struggled with that thing too. See, we are called as a church body to to root out sin from our brothers' and sisters' hearts as they will do that for us so that we can be a good example of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his regenerative spirit in us, okay? Okay. We are called to do that in in grace and love. But here's the rap that we often get a, a bad rap that Christians get, which we deserve. And that's that we are judgmental. We label people. Oh, we love to label people. All of us do. We've been conditioned to do it in our culture. In the church, what, we, what we've done is if we've, we've taken Christian principles and Christian ideas and we've actually put them on people who have never claimed to have been regenerated by Jesus. They're not Christians. And yet we've said, but you should be living like Christ. And why? Why would they? Oh, but we label and we judge and we assign value and we ignore people. and sit pretty high up on our horse. See, we claim to follow Jesus. But sometimes I wonder, is his church really preparing anyone for his return? And are our own hearts prepared for his return? We've been called to live a different life in a different way. And he's coming back to judge. Let your actions speak louder than words. Here's one more thing I see in, a third thing that I see in Jesus' second coming, which he's talking about in this story. And that is that there will be only one thing that will distinguish one person from another. <clears throat> so he's gonna return in glory and power. He's gonna judge. And the third thing excuse me, only one thing will distinguish one person from another. That's what we see in this text. Jesus talks about separating people into two groups. I know you caught that part. All right, I know you caught that part because this is the most disturbing part. Grouping people is something that we love to do, isn't it? We're good at it. We talk about our differences all the time. We recognize them. We obsess over them. We weaponize them and we celebrate them. Whether it's race or, or pronouns or, or sexuality or, or abilities or those who have college debt and those who don't. I mean, we, we love to categorize people, don't we? And the more we fight against it, the more sometimes it finds out, we find that we're just doing it all the more in our attempt to eliminate the the categorization of people in the different groups, we kind of just keep leaning into it because it's all around us. We'd be conditioned to compare and to separate and to judge. And I wonder, has that brought you any more peace in your day and in your life? Has that helped you? Cultivate and bring peace into the life of other people around you. See, the God of the Bible doesn't classify people like you and I do. No, 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 no. Listen, our Heavenly Father doesn't classify people with, with, this, with this, self-prescribed, um, un, this self-prescribed undefinable labels. That's not what God's into. God looks at the heart. Our Heavenly Father looks at the heart, And watch this. Jesus gives us an example of what that's going to look like as God peers into your regenerated heart as a follower of Jesus. Watch this. Let's talk about the sheep. Okay, he says this. This is what he says to the sheep. He says, Come, you are, who, who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Man, I love that. I love where he says, come, right? Because we talked about, we've talked about in the last couple of weeks that God is a God of invitation, isn't he? God doesn't force anything on you. Our God invites, our God initiates, our God says, Come, you come. That's important. Blessed by my father with an inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance is? I'll tell you this: something that you inherited from your father is not something that you've earned. It's not something you deserve. You don't have a right to it. It's, it's a gift based on who you're related to. Let me tell you, church, you are sons and daughters of a heavenly father who is crazy in love with you. And you have an inheritance waiting, you and I. You didn't deserve it, and I don't earn it. It's a blessing from our heavenly father. He says, blessed are you for this inheritance. And here's what you and I inherit. The kingdom prepared for you since before the beginning of the world. Can you, can you, you and I, we can't even like fathom that. That our heavenly father foreknew your life. He knew your name and he prepared a place for you since before the beginning of time. A place for you, a reward for your soul. A place for your resurrected body one day. And he says, I made this place for you. This is your true home, and I can't wait to welcome you here. Do you believe that? Well, that's the message that Jesus gives to the righteous, he says. Now, notice something. Now, there's something. I didn't notice this, actually. I've read, for the many times I've read this, this was shocking to me, all right? This group of sheep... They're surprised. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? Like, when did we do those things? When did we feed or, or come and visit or clothe or, or, or when did we do this? They're, they're surprised. Now, now, Jesus's audience, which at this point is at least his disciples, all right, they're all Jewish men. See, like you and I, we love to insert ourselves into, as the heroes of the story. We're, so you and I would read that and we're like, well, I mean, I'm the sheep. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, that's what his disciples heard it too. They're Jewish men. And so they said, well, clearly we're the sheep in the story, right? They would understand this through their lens. And those dirty Gentile, non-Jewish, sinful people, they're clearly the goats. Now, that's not what happens because look at the context here. That, that couldn't have been what Jesus was saying because this audience wasn't like, well, I'm, I'm a Jewish man. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian in America and I attend White Oak. I mean, of course. No, no these people are surprised. This group of sheep didn't realize what they were doing was serving the king. You know, the early Christians in the first century, and, and when you read authors who talk about how the Christians changed an empire in the first couple centuries uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the Roman world, they, they talked about the Christians' behavior just, just blew the minds of their Roman counterparts. Whereas the Romans, when baby girls would be born or unwanted babies would be born, they would literally just toss them out. They would take them outside the city gate and toss them out to be exposed and die or be eaten by wild animals. But the Christians stopped that practice. And they encouraged their neighbors to do the same. In a culture that devalued women, women were property When a woman's husband died, if she became a widow, she was expelled from the community if she didn't remarry right away because the only value that a woman had was to be a wife. And when the Christians begin to gather, they begin to gather women. They begin to say, You're equals with us. And they begin to feed and care for the widows and say, You have extreme value. Guys, listen, women flocked to the Christian church in the first and second century because there was somebody who said they had value. And it changed an empire. The Christians were helping the poor and staying in the cities when plague ravaged Rome and other cities. Was, was killing multiple hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people. The Christians stayed in the city to care for the poor. Emperor Julian wrote this to one of his priests. One of his pagan priests in the year 13. 337 AD. Listen to what he says in his letter. This is Emperor Emperor Julian to his priest. He says, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our priests, then I think the impious Galileans, his word for Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. Julian hated Christians. He's like, they're not only caring for Christian poor, they're caring for, they're caring for the, the pagan Roman poor as well. He's like, what is going on here? All men, he says, see that our people lack aid from us. So Julian attempted to get the pagan priests to begin to, Copy the behavior of the Christians in the first century. It's like, let's do what they're doing. Let's start taking the care of the poor. And guess what? The program didn't work. The pagan priests and the Roman citizens did not do what Julian hoped they would do. Why? I think Charles Spurgeon, a very influential 19th century English preacher, summarizes it like this, and I want you to hear his words. When they stand before the judgment seat, he's talking about the sheep, the bare idea of there being any excellence in what they have done will be new to the saints. For they have formed a very lowly estimate of their own performances and what they have done seems to them too too faulty to be commended. The saints fed the hungry and clothed the naked because it gave them much pleasure to do so. They did it because they could not help doing it. Their new nature impelled them to do it. They did it because it was their delight to do good and was as much their element as water for a fish or air for a bird. They did good for Christ's sake because it was the sweetest thing in the world to do anything for Jesus. They were serving the poor, Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, because it was Jesus oozing out of them. They provided through their actions proof that they had been regenerated by the spirit of Christ. So my question for you, brothers and sisters, is what is it about Jesus that is oozing out of you? The goats, yeah, we had to come to them, don't we? Just got a couple minutes, we're going to talk about goats, okay? This is what Jesus says. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal hellfire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. See, our God of invitation also gives you the opportunity to turn and depart, doesn't he? And it is said that to depart, to turn and walk away from the beauty and the excellence and the love and the faithfulness of a good Heavenly Father is, in fact, the hell of all hells. Then he says, Cursed. Whereas the saints get an inheritance that they could not earn and they could not deserve, but only because they're related to the Heavenly Father, a curse is upon those who were given the invitation but declined who had people in front of them that they should have clothed and we should have fed and we should have cared for, but we said no. Did they have the opportunity to to lean into the purpose that our heavenly father gave us? And we said, no, thanks. The only thing that was left is a curse. That they maybe claimed to know the name of Jesus and maybe they claimed to worship Yahweh, the name of God, and yet they showed no evidence that their hearts had been regenerated by him and the only thing left for you and me at that point is a curse and then he says something that blew my mind as I was reading it these last couple weeks because again I just didn't see it in all the times I've read this before they go away to the eternal fire prepared for who? Church let me tell you this hell was not prepared for you Did you see that? Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for people. It was never made for people. It was made for Satan. You and I were created for life, to life to the fullest. We were created to enjoy eternal beauty with our Heavenly Father. But there will be a segment of us who decline that offer. And the only thing that's left for us is a curse to be judged under the law instead under the blood of Jesus Christ. You weren't created for hell. But you can't choose it. See, you and I appear twice in this story. Who are you in this story? We, we, you, you, you have to ask, as soon as you hear the story, you have to ask the question, well, oh my gosh, who am I? Am I the sheep or the goats? And the answer is, I don't know. We're one or the other. But do you know who else you are in this story? Do you know who I am in this story? We're the poor. Do you know that? In this story that Jesus tells, you're the naked one. You're the poor one. You're the imprisoned one. I'm the hungry one, we're the poor. Oh, what is it about poor people that God loves so much? Is it the fact that they, they, they have little to rely on in this world and they know it? Is it that, is it that they have no status, they have, they have no voice, they have no possessions, they have no power? What is it that God loves about the poor so much? Is it that the poor are a physical representation of of the decrepit and and, and pitiful nature of our spirit and your spirit, mine and yours? Is it that the poor are the physical representation of how needy and broken and, and, and need of mercy that I am, that you are in? Is that why God loves the poor so much? Let me tell you, in this story, more than the sheep and the goats, we're the poor, and it's Jesus who rescues poor people when he died on the cross because he saw us struggling for sustenance to feed ourselves with something. He said, I'll let me give you myself the bread of life and I'll, you'll never hunger again. He saw us thirsting for purpose and our heavenly father said, I will quench your thirst and I will fuel you with purpose. And I will give you a story. It's my story that I'm going to tell into your life of grace and, and mercy. And I want you to go and share it with other people. He saw us naked. Oh my gosh, when my God looked at me, he saw me naked, struggling to, to hide my, my shame and my guilt and my sin and to cover it up. And my God went to the cross and he clothed me with righteousness and glory. Church, 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 God sees you sick with the disease of sin and imprisoned by your anxiety and your depression and your fear. And my God gives us a spirit of freedom and boldness. We are poor without Jesus and lack everything. And if you have never made the decision to step into grace and mercy, to get your life to him through your faith and to experience the waters of baptism wash over you, then I would encourage you today, when we end the service in in a few moments, come down here and talk to one of us. I don't want you to miss it. If you need to repent, uh, you, maybe your heart has been regenerated by the Spirit, but you've not been living like it. Then I call you, church, to repent from it. There is need and there is purpose that our Heavenly Father has put right before you, and we've been ignoring it. No more. The time is short, but God is patient. Repent today. How you respond to Jesus is what distinguishes how you spend your eternity. He's gonna come back. And he's gonna take the throne that he once traded for a manger, that he then traded for a cross. And no one's gonna miss it we're going to celebrate communion now and if you've got a communion pack they were in on the tables back here and if you missed it go grab one um, please it's it's fine we most Sundays I miss it on my way in and have to go back and grab one I want you to take that out you know when Jesus sat down with his disciples at the Passover meal He gave them the bread, which was traditionally there, unleavened bread. Traditionally, at every Passover meal that these Jewish men had ever been at, since they, since they could remember, they are little boys, they could remember this, the bread. And Jesus broke that bread. He said, this is my body, take and remember me. So take it now with me. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, let's, let's take that together, this bread that represents his body broken for us on the cross. Since these men were little boys, they could picture their fathers pouring out of the pitcher of wine. It was the blood that their ancestors had spread over the doorway to keep the the death angel and passing over them when they were slaves in Egypt. The lamb, the blood of the lamb So since they were little boys, they could remember at their Passover celebrations with their families, their father's pouring the wine out. And Jesus said, but this wine now is representation of my blood that's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of many. And so when you and I take this now, we remember that we serve a God who died for us. So would you drink it with me now? You know, one thing that was conspicuously missing from that Passover meal that the disciples must have thought Jesus had a lapse of memory, since there was always lamb that their mothers had prepared perfectly and their fathers cut up and served. But there was no lamb sitting on the table that night, because the lamb was sitting with them. So as we remember every week that we gather around the table together as brothers and sisters, Jesus is our sacrifice, our lamb who took away the sins of the world. And we celebrate that. Pray with me. Jesus, you are endlessly good. You are our king, our savior, our redeemer, our friend, our brother. And we worship you. Move in our regenerated hearts, Father. Our king, I love you, amen.